0: We're going to be in Genesis initially, chapter 2 today. It is awesome to be with you. Never fails when I come in here and I walk into worship, God train wrecks me. I cried so hard, my contacts are all distorted now, so I got like four of Shalice in one eye and eight of Brian in the other eye, and so just try and. Walk this thing through. So, the uh, let's go to Genesis chapter two and verse <laughs> verse six, I think. Yeah, it says the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant in the sight in the sight and good for food the tree was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil now drop down to verses 24 and 25 in that same chapter and it says that we go from god putting man in the garden to then god splitting him up and it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked and the man and his wife the man and his wife and they were not ashamed the uh the title of my message today if you're taking notes is are you willing to live naked? It's going to be a good group today. I'm going to prove to you that God's purpose in this journey today is that we all live naked. Now, down in Texas, Shalise will tell you that the way we say it down there, if you're a redneck or a hillbilly, is naked. So if you're from the South then are you willing to live naked? Isn't it interesting that the first image that we have of relating and interacting with God is two people naked. And that's what God is restoring to all of our lives. And I don't believe it's a literal sense, I haven't seen any churches that say the first church of the naked of the Assemblies of God. I was just up in New Hampshire and they have a naked, a nudist colony up there with a big sign. That was new to me. I wanted to get a selfie like this going, this is where I just ministered, you know. But if we're going to understand a word called intimacy, then we've got to understand this idea of being naked. Because it's interesting that right from the beginning, the Scriptures make a point that when God created Adam and Eve, He was hanging out with them face to face, and it doesn't just say they were naked, it says they were naked and unashamed. That Just like I said, are you willing to live naked? And somebody yelled out, no. didn't have to do that. (laughs) No, I'm letting you know it's me. We are not getting naked in here today. Just... And it's interesting because as I sit down with people... as I sit down with people and I talk with people one-on-one, the whole idea of the term intimacy has different things for different people, particularly the great divide between men and women. Because if I'm sitting and talking with a guy and I'm saying, what are your hopes and expectations of this session? He will somewhere in that, if it's an issue, says, well, my wife just won't be intimate. And he's not talking about talking in warm fuzzies (laughs) and cuddling and kumbaya. See, for a guy to talk about intimacy, he's talking about sex. Can't get no help from the guys here today. I don't know. It's a good place for an amen. What's the matter with you guys in here? There's nothing, got nothing. Already ashamed. That'll hit you on Tuesday. And then, if I talk to the women, then they say, My husband won't be intimate. They're not talking about sex. They're talking about warm fuzzies. They're talking about talk to me and walks in the park and talk to me. and focus time, and doing things, and talk to me. Getting all kinds of help from the women today, huh? The word intimate, now let me pull you back in here, okay? The word intimate means inward. It means inmost. It means internal. That's why we say that the physical act of sex is intimacy. Come on now. Because it is one person going into the inmost place of another. But then it also says, listen to this now, intimate is a familiar friend. It is one to whom the thoughts of another are entrusted without reserve. I'm just going to let that hang for a second because that's a powerful statement. One to whom the thoughts, the inward places of my heart, not my head, my heart, can be entrusted to another without reserve. I have to open myself up and go inward with someone else, and I have to trust that they're going to take that inward place in me and pull it in and take it into that inward place in them. Do you already see why it's so hard for us to live naked? And so the reality here is is that Adam and Eve were naked and and not ashamed. Why? Because they were placed in a garden. And the original Hebrew root word there for garden means to defend, to cover, and to surround. And that's a whole message I could preach in and of itself. I'm just hitting peaks today. but But... We're getting this picture of what God intended it to be between us and Him so that we could have deeper relationships and deeper connections with people this way. We have to go back and see what the original picture was. It was that not only was Adam and Eve totally naked, meaning totally open, totally vulnerable totally willing to put all of themselves into God, whatever that picture looked like at that time, but it was also that God would take that and bring that into Himself and release Himself to them in an environment that He created for them that was to defend, to surround, and to cover them so that they would feel comfortable being able to open up like that. Does that make sense? That's why they were naked and unashamed. They didn't even know what it meant to be unashamed at that moment. In order to be ashamed, you have to feel like what that's like, and they had no idea of that. Does that make sense? And everything was going great. And then they had this situation happen where when they weren't with God in the cool of the day, some say it's the devil, some say it's the enemy. The reality of the passage is is we have a snake talking to them, getting them to believe something other than what they already were. He said, if you'll eat this, you'll be like God. They already were like God. That's what those things that have happened to you and you've participated in or ate from the tree do in your mind. They get you to believe something other than what you are. Come on, are you here? And so isn't it interesting how the picture changes? We go to Genesis 3, 8 and 9, and it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the place of intimacy. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The original root word for tree there means to shut out. The core Hebrew word that they get, the other Hebrew word for tree, for in its original origins, means to shut out. So the whole picture we have here is: once they didn't believe who they really were, all of a sudden they took their own identity and their own reality into their own hands, and look at the mess that they had. Now they have to own their lives; they have to work their lives. And so, what do they do? They grab fig trees and they make fig what they think is fig, Abercrombie, and fitch. They do their own thing, and they run, and they hide among the trees. Listen, their identity wasn't to be in the trees. They weren't to be hanging out with a bunch of trees that would shut out everybody. And then in that, hiding in the trees, trying to shut out who God is and, and hide from Him. Then, to top it off, they decided, because they realized for some reason that they were naked now and ashamed, they went and they made their own clothes. The problem with fig leaves are, is when they dry out in the heat of the day, they curl, See, that's the problem with us taking our own lives into our hands and trying to create our own identity. We shut everybody out and we make garments and we tie and hide and protect ourselves only to our own demise because when we get into the heat of life, what we've created blows everything up anyways. Come on, are you here? A lot of stuff in those two little pictures, isn't it? So, what we need to understand then is kind of this guideline. What do you mean? 100% covering myself equals 100% not intimate and naked with God. Or another way of saying it in the original picture. 100% naked and unashamed. 100% intimacy or 100% naked equals 100% intimacy with God. Got the picture? And so why I'm up here today like this is because this is a composite picture of how everybody looks when they come see me. I know, I'm worth waiting on. It took a little bit, but we're finally here. I had to lay that foundation. Do you know how many people that come into the chair, sit down with me, and the, their biggest thing is, I can't hear God? It's like they've got muffles on their ears. And so, we start in. And the reason they have muffles on their ears, I I I pray pretty much with A hundred percent, 99.9% of the people I pray with all over the nation are Christians and they can't hear God. Houston, we have a problem. They want to hear God. And we teach and we preach about forgiveness, but yet half to three quarters of the first session I do with somebody is nothing but forgiving. It's like we know the concept, but to go from the concept to walking it out in the earth, there's a disconnect. And so they so we just start in, and I say, listen, why don't why don't we forgive that person for what they did? Why don't we just let me help you with that? Let me we ask God, Lord, why why can't they hear you? And all of a sudden, this image comes up in their head of a person, and they're like, I'd rather not talk. tell you what let's not talk let's pray then you don't have to reiterate it twice and so we begin to pray and Jesus by an act of my will I choose to forgive this person for this thing and this thing and this thing and pow whoa I can hear I'm so glad. And they do. Then I say, God, what truth do you want this person to know? Oh, my God, he loves me. I the first time I ever had your And all we've done is take the earmuffs off. Come on, are you here? And then we go a little further. And God brings up this other person. Oh, I'm not forgiving them. No. <laughs> Do you know what they did to me? You don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Because you're in a unique specimen to the human race. You're an anomaly. You've got it worse than everybody else on the planet. But our pain is our pain, isn't it? It's very real to us. So I'm saying, listen, it's just a decision. You're not going to ever feel like forgiven. I don't even in my life. There's never been a day where I've gone, "Oh yes, I feel like forgiving them today." Hallelujah! It's time. <laughs> so I forgive them for this and for that, and I don't want to forgive them for this and, for and I don't, I don't to forgive them for, for that. For, duh! Oh, hey! I can feel! Duh! Wow, that's cool! Yeah, good! Okay, where do we go next? God, where do we go next? Oh, I am not forgiving that person. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much money they took from me? Said they'd give it back? Listen, Do you want to keep feeling more? Is there any any misunderstanding as to why when you clap and praise the Lord, you don't feel anything? You're all covered. Why don't we keep digging in? And so by enacting my will, I forgive them for for lying to me and for, for betraying my trust and for not giving me my money back. Whoa! This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has, I can feel! Come on, are you here? I know, it's just me. You pray for me. Y'all more spiritual than I am. I mean, I'll be this real. This week, my wife and I had some intense fellowship. I'm sitting up here. What do he say, Harold? We fought. That's my spiritual way of saying fight and argue. We had intense fellowship. And I'm sitting up here on the, on the front row here this morning. And I'm like, God, I have no idea what to do. Like, you know, I'm all shut down. And the Lord says, "Well, you just need to forgive. <laughs> wasn't my fault. Don't matter. But Lord, I know I was right. Don't matter. You gonna float today or not, God? This ain't fair. You kind of got me between a rock and a hard place here. Cause I gotta float. Well." See, God don't play fair. Don't even think for a minute God plays fair. Cuz when you say yes to him, that's your last choice. You don't get how powerful that statement is I just made. The day that you say yes to him is the last day you get to make a choice. Come on, are you here? So, so here we are so I forgive my wife and then the bigger issue is I had to forgive myself and all of a sudden all of heaven starts opening up and I'm texting my wife and I'm saying well I'm really sorry I asked you to forgive me and I'm owning it and I ain't heard back yet but (laughs) all I can do is my part though, right? And so then as you go along and God kind of prunes the the real dead things off of you and He starts creating momentum with you, what's He doing? He's starting to build trust with you and you don't even know it. Because in every place that you journey with Him, He then downloads His love. It's kind of like the three things that I just said in the picture of the garden hanging in the identity of the trees shutting out, it's like, it's like those three things kind of got me from completely being hidden and, and shut off from all the rest of the garden in God to right about here. All of a sudden, He can see my face even though I'm still wearing fig leaves and I'm kind of still hanging out with the trees. See, we start a progressive movement back to the original state He intends for all of us, which is hanging out with Him in the garden in the cool of the day. You've got to keep that in mind. That is the original intent. And so then, He starts to go deeper. Bless His heart. And he starts walking with you, in, in in what you can now connect with him in, and he and 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 he go, and and you wake up the next day, and he says, uh, you start talking with him and and worshiping him, and he says, hey, why don't we get rid of that garment, that fig tree garment of yours? Why don't we? Why don't we work on that one with the lady that you just had the divorce? No! Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, son. Come on, let's talk a little more. Let me just love on you some more. And so he just loves on you some more. See, when you say no, he don't walk away. He just keeps loving on you where you are. I, I hope somebody gets it. What was I thinking? I was crazy to even say that to you, Josh. Come on, let's walk some more. Obviously, you're not secure enough in my love for this place, so I'm just going to keep being faithful to you. I'm just going to keep loving you. My goodness and mercy are just going to keep following you. And then you come to the next day or half a year later, and he says, listen, if you're going to go down this road with this new person, you really ought to get rid of that that garment that you're wearing of the past relationship. And so, what do I got to do? You got to forgive her. We got to break the ties there. So by an act of my will, and we go through it, and we just begin to... And what's great about this is, it's not His hand doing this. It's your hand with His hand over it. It's Him moving you and, and helping you release this. <sighs> Whoa. Man, that was heavy. <laughs> or what I hear, I can't believe I waited all these years and it wasn't that difficult. And boom, that garment's gone. And next time you're in worship, Oh, my gosh, I didn't even know my hands went that high. Oh, hey, it's a new day. And then he says, hey, 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 hey. We got this original relationship with this young lady that was your first love. And since we're on this relationship thing, you really ought to work that out. What are you talking about? Oh, I was there when she broke up with you. I was there when you didn't get the answers that you needed. And as a matter of fact, I'm right there at the doors of the chambers of your heart that you have so shut down that you don't even realize that you have deceived yourself into thinking it's not there. But now that we've gotten those other garments off, now we can actually focus on this one. Thank you very much. Well, man, you've done so much already. Let's do it. And so we forgive, we go through that, and we start this thing of derobing again, and it's like, Getting dizzy here in this session. Feels weird in my head. God, why can't I get this garment off? Why 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 aren't you taking it off? Why why do I still feel heavy? Yet? Well, see, when she hurts you, you committed in your heart never to let anybody else in again. It's what we call a vow. And when you did that. It didn't just block her out. It blocked everybody else out, including me. So then we dismantle the vow. And we break that vow. And we ask God to release us from the vow. And then what was spinning us in circles just drops to the ground off of who we are. Come on, are you here? Let me tell you, and I don't know that I would be this personal in a whole lot of settings, although if you've heard my messages and you have, you know I'm pretty fluent with my life. I've been married almost 10 years, and it takes work to keep a marriage going. The smiles on the day of marriage, our work to recreate those smiles throughout the rest of time. Come on, are you here? Can't get no help in here today. And if you listen to any messages that I give about my history and my journey to healing, you'll hear me talk about my parents, You'll hear me talking about the the possibilities I had to get married from the time I hit freshman year of college through about 24. You hear me say how when I got to the point of commitment, my heart would shut down. And I would pray and I would think it was God. And so I was in this relationship, just in there, man. Sometimes months, sometimes half a year. And we get to that point, you know, that that point where she's saying, I'm really tired of you not telling me where we're going with this. can't get no help here today. <laughs> preaching to myself. And every time i go to bed and I'd pray and I'd wake up the next day and have no feelings whatsoever. And I'd walk into that next meeting with that gal. I'd look her in the eyes and say, we're done and walk away. An idiot. No idea how how a woman's wired, what that would do to her, just, we prayed, we're done, out. And I would take that back to my parents. And I would say that the only way I got married to Bethany was because I had enough healing to realize that when it happened with her, it wasn't actually God, it was a block in me. So I worked through those things, those blocks, enough to say yes and I do. But all through these ten years of our marriage, my wife would say to me, as I'm sure women do, hey, not in, a, not, not in any particular context, just living life, hey, you still in love with me? And I would go, crap. I don't lie. Honey, listen, I really wish you wouldn't do this because I love you with everything that I know to love you with. I don't know what that term means. I I, I don't know how to define it. I I, I can't say that I've ever experienced it. True story. And I'm like, I don't want to hurt you. Just know that everything that I can love you with, I do. but I'm not going to lie to you. And so, I'm 45 years old. And, and I would tell anybody that asked me, I don't know what this means to be in love. And then in November of last year, things had become, in our world, uh, really difficult. The last five months of my life have been hell on earth, particularly October, November and December of last year. And so I called Catherine and we set up a time for me to do a prayer session. And I had, I'm a verbal processor, so she'll ask me what's going on. It takes me about a half an hour to just kind of talk it all through and get it all out there, because that's just how I do. And she said, well, let's pray. And so we start to pray, and everything I just mentioned totally went like this, and God went here. Just love when He does that. And all of a sudden, I'm back discussing... A first love relationship when I was 14 years old. I was her first love. She was my first love. And I was all in. I was recklessly head over heels in love with this girl at 14. I had this criteria list of what I wanted. She met it. I thought, this is it. And then six months later, she says, I don't want to do this anymore and doesn't explain why. I mean, you know, that's a bad hair day. The problem is, is that for the next four years and then through college, we would go back and forth on this thing. And she would kind of open up And it felt like everything was kicking again. So my heart would turn on. And then she'd pull back again. And when we got in college, I sat down with her and I said, hey, what is going on? And she just sat there looking at me. I even went to her mother. Because I had to get resolved. Because my heart had committed. And I said to her mom, I said, hey, I said, what do I need to do to win your daughter's heart? Or if you know that this isn't going to work out, just tell me and I'll cut bait and go. Because her parents, I was close to her parents too. And all she would say to me is, well, just keep going. What the heck does that mean? Somebody grow a pair and tell, I'm sorry. I I apologize. I got kids in here. Sorry. For the kids, I'm sorry. Otherwise, I'm not sorry. But would somebody please tell me what's going on? So Catherine and I, this all comes up in me. And God pulls all this out of me. That I had so put that coat on And pulled it into me that I was denying even to myself that I had ever been in love. I had ever all been all in. I was ever in a relationship where I even knew what. It was all so clamped down that you couldn't have told me that I had ever been in a relationship where I felt that in love thing. And it's not on any of my messages, of which I've preached a lot of my life journey. And then we did another session where more vows got unlocked. And then there was another session with more vows that were unlocked. And literally after that session, I texted my wife where I was and I said, honey, honey, I love you, and I'm in love with you. And it so flew out of my fingers so fast, I almost dropped my phone. Because not only could I say it, I could feel it. And I realized, for the first time, when I did that session with Catherine, she'll tell you, I said, I need about 20 minutes here. And I sat there for 20 minutes where I was contemplating the fact that at one point in my life as a young man, I was in love and I was all in with somebody. It was totally missing from my life. So what am I saying with that? What I'm saying is some of these garments that have been put on us and created in us, they are so tight to us that we don't even that they feel so safe and so secure to us. It's like spray on skin. That's why I almost laugh at people when they say, I don't need to do this. Listen, you may not need to do my methodology, but to say I'm good and I've arrived, take heed lest you fall. You're getting set up for the biggest world rocking of your life. Because until we see Him as He is, we don't see Him as He is. And we're in a progressive journey into Christ so that we can understand who He really is and who we really are in Him, so that we'll quit hiding with fig leaves, so that we'll walk out of the place called shut down and shut out. And we'll realize that we are a tree planted by a river of righteousness that gives its fruit to all in season and not part of a grove of trees that shuts people down and shuts people out. Come on, are you here? So as I go further in this today, I want you to really begin to open your mind and your heart to the possibility that there may be a fruit of the loom. There may be a soup what do they call what did we call those when I was growing up? What did we call them, Brian? Uh, underoos, yeah. Were you dressed up like superheroes? I had Batman and Spider Man. Underoos, there we go. Gir animals and Underoos. There just might be a garment that God wants to work with you today to take off. Because then He really gets personal. He starts asking you to take the garments off that you've put on with all the things that your parents and authorities have done to hurt you and malign you. And that's not a one and done. And he just begins to take those things off as you let them go. Do you know how many people I sit with and we're on the eighth session and they're going, when am I ever going to get done with Dad?" (laughs) Well, listen, I'm here to tell you I'm the one that trains people to do this and I've done over 150 of these suckers in my own life and I'm still doing them. And I'm not saying anybody's got to go that way. All I'm saying is, is isn't is it worth it to keep progressing with God in mind transformation? Because if you do, you'll have more right standing, more peace, more joy inside. And oh, by the way, the end of that passage says, then you will be able to know how to discern and approve what His will is for your life. Maybe some of us are running around not figuring anything out because we're still sitting, as Chalice said, in our trash and in our ashes saying, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And then we poo-poo God and say, where are you? As we sit in the middle of those ashes, when all along God's wanting to say, if you take my hand, I'd lift you out of those ashes, I'd make you beautiful, but you're just content to sit in your slop. what happens when you get free. All those garments leave. You just steal yourself and go. Does that make sense? So you've got to quit thinking that mind renewal and the process of intimacy with God is a one and done. Listen, on my marriage day, I said, The preacher said, do you? I said, I do. She said, I do. And we did. But I'm here to tell you, it wasn't a one and done, baby. I look forward to I do every time that she and I can do. Which ain't as often with three kids. Some of you finally got what I was saying. And there's not one time that I do and she do and we did that I think, oh, well, that wasn't very good. That was kind of like the last time. That was kind of... And there's no way that we can do, I can do, she can do, and we can did without getting a little naked. I can't get no help here today. What is this? Something's got to be taken off to do and did. It's the same thing with your heart. God can't do and you can't do to deeper levels unless you take a garment off so that you guys can do and you say, we did. Does that make sense? So let's get the picture. (gasps) Okay, I'll rush. So where's the picture in Scripture beyond Jesus and this picture in the garden of intimacy? I'm so glad you asked. The greatest the greatest picture that I see in Scripture is David. Not yet. And here's the picture. The Ark of the Covenant is coming back to Jerusalem. And it says... In 2 Samuel 6, 13 through 23, through it says, listen, when the, temple, when the, when the ark came, was coming back, it says, then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was only wearing a linen ephod. Why? I am. I am ranting. Why? It's almost like you couldn't pay somebody to do that, right? It's like, it like when I was in college, I came in to my dorm, and we had this sink and this light way in the back of our dorm room, and, and, and the beds were up here, and my roommate was sleeping, and I went back, I turned the light off, I walked by him to get to my bed, he was dead to sleep. As soon as I got to his head, he said, yep, that's us, we're, we're Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you totally asleep like not when I was back there right when I got to his head I'm like Trey Trey perfect timing and the rant is this the presence of God had been out of the city and the reason why it says David danced before the Lord with all his might In a linen ephod, translated, he danced in his underwear. He couldn't dance in his kingly robe because he didn't know God as king first. He knew God as a shepherd boy when he hung out with him in the middle of the fields when he'd fight a bear, when he'd fight a lion, when he was out there getting to know God, worshiping him, and we have the songs that he sang to prove it. Why does it say that David was a man after God's own heart? It drove me crazy. I've heard tons of messages. But I got it now because as I am becoming more and more intimate with God, I begin to realize that David was a murderer. David was a peeping Tom. David was an adulterer. David was a warring king that had blood on his hand. David sucked as a father. But why would God say that David had a heart after me? Because David knew how to get intimate with God. Hallelujah. When David was in despair, he sang a song to God. When David was high on his horse, he sang a song to God. When David was in the dredges, he sang. A, when David was angry with God, he sang. A, when David knew he thought God was angry with him, he sang a song. Forgot him at 8,500 feet. About ready to pass out. <laughs> Hallelujah. You got to give me a second. The, The whole room just went, "Woo!" Hallelujah. This doesn't happen down in the springs. It only happens when I get a little higher. That may be a word in and of itself. Get a little higher, pass out. So, David is dancing. You got to understand this. Listen, this isn't like you and I just going out on the streets looking crazy dancing in our Fruit of the Looms or in our Hanes or in our Victoria's Secret. Finally got the women in it. Everybody all said Victoria. All right now. Just got to know your group, right? Speak their language. Listen, this would be, and I'm sorry to give you the visual, but you've got to understand this. This would be like Obama going out in a Speedo on Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House. However, he was doing it. This is what David the King was doing in front of all the people. He didn't care because he recognized that that sweet presence of God was coming back to him and the people. And he knew how to connect with God heart to heart because he grew up doing it. Then it says that David went home to his house, bless his soul, feeling really good. And David said to Micah, well, Micah says to him, The daughter of Saul. Oh, how glorious the king of Israel is today. Uncovering himself in the eyes of all the women. How glorious you look, shaking your family jewels in front of all the women today. Way to hang out there. That's what it says. And for the sake of the kids, I'm not taking it any further. I don't know why Hollywood just can't write the scripture the way it says. I mean, that's, that's good material. That's at least PG-13. And look at what David says. It's kind of like she lobbed this big tennis ball bomb over at him. Look at what he lobs back. It was before the Lord. Who, by the way, chose me over your dad. How do you like them apples? <laughs> and all your house, honey. To appoint me ruler over all the people of Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And then he says, if you thought I shook my stuff in front of everybody today. I'm going to get even more crazy tomorrow. I just might run out there butt naked tomorrow. I really don't know and I really don't care because you don't get what I get. Your dad never knew the presence of God. The people voted him in, but God chose me when I was out being intimate with him. He called me in from that intimacy, sat me in front of a guy I had no idea who he was, dumped all this weird stuff over my head, and called me king. Oh, by the way, I ain't doing this for the people. You still, like your daddy, are looking at the people. I'm looking at God, and I don't care what the people think, and I don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. But if I wear the garments of Micah, I can't see God. I can't get excited that the presence of God has come back in the people's lives. I do what Micah does. I get into a service at Prayer Mountain and I see all these people acting crazy. I see people just wandering around everywhere. (laughs) Doing all kinds of crazy things. Going up and down. Laying on the floor. Doing some weird kind of jigs. And if I have the religious mindset of Micah, I sit in judgment and my womb becomes barren. Oh, you are not hearing me. Some of you need to go back and have a session with God and ask Him where in your life you've made judgments of people who they are worshiping and having intimacy with God even though you can't see it you're barren in your life, maybe you better ask God if there's a repentance, if there's a change of mind that you need to have happen in your life so fruitfulness can come back into you. Just a thought. Wow. Are you here? Intimacy is about going inward. It's about going into places where there's vulnerability where there's transparency so we jump to the new testament turn look at your look in your bibles at john chapter 13 verses 3 and 5 it says jesus knowing that the father had given all things and that he had come from god and was going back to god he rose from supper laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water in a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he girded his nakedness with. This is all the further I'm going. You'll never forget the preacher that got naked in front of you. wonder what it'd be like if somebody like Joel Osteen stripped down to his skivvies and washed all his leadership's feet in front of national TV. Just saying, it looks like Jesus to me. Jesus took all his clothes off. He got naked he got to this moment where he was with his boys. And 12, 12, 24 hours later, he wasn't going to be with them. And who knows all the different things that they did or didn't talk about. But somewhere in it, he realized that there was a picture they still needed to see that they weren't quite getting. And when people preach this, It's always about serving. I've done leadership retreats and I've been a part of them where you bring this up, all the leaders wash each other's feet. Don't forget that leaders have to serve the the laity. But But we miss the very point of being able to serve. It's in the two statements before he does the action. He takes his garments off he lets them see him naked. He takes the towel and wraps it around his nakedness like a slave, like a servant. They know who he is now. They know where he's going. They know what's happening. They recognize who he is. If there's anybody that didn't have to do this, it was him. And yet when they get into the meal and they eat the meal they all know that there's no servant there to take care of the dirtiest part of who they are. And not one of them jumps up after all these years with Jesus and does it. So, Shalise, come here. The last thing... Have a seat. The last thing that Jesus... Savior, King, Lord, Son to Father. The last thing He reminds them in His nakedness. You know, there are a lot of preachers that would say, I'd love if my people just danced before God clothed. Let alone we have this picture of worshiping and having ecstasy with God. David dancing. Let's just shoot for some kind of intimacy with the clothes that we have off. Are you here? And so Jesus gets down. And it's not what's said. It's what's shown. You have to come to the place where you're willing to become naked in order to effectively serve the kingdom. It wasn't about the serving. It wasn't about Jesus having a title and bowing down off of this title. It was about the nakedness. Jesus could have done this with his garments on for crying out loud. Are you here? Oh, you can get them both out there, alright. <laughs> <laughs> alright, Peter. And what you need to see is, show me that washcloth, cap What you need to see is, and we know this story, but you've got to understand it from a place of nakedness. Jesus basically was showing us, I have nothing to hide from you guys. I have hid nothing, even down to my physical nakedness. And I'm showing you one last time. It's going to take being naked and getting into the places where people are the dirtiest, where they're the yuckiest, where they're smelly, stinking, toe jam, manure infested, toes cut, athlete's foot. Come on, are you here? And he started washing their feet, and that's why Peter said, Hey man, do my whole body. Your whole body don't need it, Peter. I've been working on your whole body while I've been here. This one thing you lack. It's understanding that serving in the kingdom is having intimacy to the place of nakedness. Does that make sense? We don't touch out of our covered places. People feel when they can feel us. Their heart warms when they can feel our heart. Come on, are you here? Jesus is showing us you can't do that with garments on. David couldn't worship God in the intimacy that he knew him as in kingly priestly garments. Those had to come off. Does that make sense? And he just went by one by one to him in that naked place. In that place none of them were willing to go. In that place where none of them were willing to, well, Peter, he wasn't even going to allow Jesus to go. So then not 24 hours later, while he showed his nakedness in a way to his leaders that was going to affect all of humanity. He showed his nakedness in another way to all of humanity. Because it says that the soldiers stripped him naked, beat him, mocked him, put a mocking robe on him, stripped him naked again, threw his clothes on him. He went to the place of the skull, the place of death. And they didn't kill him with those garments on. He hung between heaven and earth completely naked. You wouldn't have known that because it says in Scripture that he was so damaged he was unrecognizable. You know, the the most grotesque depiction that I've seen in video of His crucifixion is the passion of the Christ. But I've got to tell you, even in that, I know it's still Jim Caviezel on the cross. Folks, He became naked and completely unrecognizable meaning if you didn't know he was dying that day, you would say, well, I know those two people. I know they're human. What is that? He became naked and unrecognizable so that we could become naked and recognizable again. When they put him in the tomb, he stepped out of the tomb into a garden. And the first person said, oh, I'm sorry, I perceived you to be the gardener. (laughs) A prophetic picture to say, I am back. And if you will allow me, if you will agree, I'll start creating a garden again in your life. I'll start creating places inside of you that will feel like you're defended you're covered, you're surrounded. I'll come to you in places in your heart in the cool of the day and you'll actually begin to see me so it's not such a surprise when you get to the other side and you go, oh, that's who you were? We really can know and see Him here so that when we do cross over, it's like, yeah, it's you. Come on, are you here? Now now watch this. I'm closing with this and I'm landing this plane. Listen to this. It says now, you say, Nate, why is it so, I get the intimacy, but why are you so passionate about this thing about getting naked? Why is it so necessary? Listen, but now you yourselves are to put off. As a garment, these things, anger, wrath, blasphemy. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now watch this. And put on the new man who is renewed in the in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, See, there's things He wants you to put on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, long-suffering. These aren't things inherent to you. You can't work these things up. You can't make them happen in a moment when you need them if you don't already have them on. You don't have enough in your brain and in your soul to make that happen in a split-second's notice. Put on bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also do. Now watch this. Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Watch this now. He's saying, i got all these garments to put on you. And oh, by the way, love's going to bind them all together. And for good measure, I've got a robe called righteousness that I'm going to even put on top of all of that. So that when anybody looks at you, all they can see is me. And even if you take the righteous garment off, they're going to see tender mercies. They're going to see love. They're going to see kindness. They're going to see putting up with each other and liking it. Why then do we have to get naked? Because he can't put these things on your soul. If you're already wearing other garments. He can't put loving kindness on your soul. If there's a broken place that has. I'm not going to be loving and kind. Already wear it worn. Are you hearing me? And in every place. And in every way. Where we have allowed him to. Disrobe us to a naked place, immediately He covers us with Him. Where I had hate, now I have love. Where I had envy, now I have giving. Where I had unforgiveness, now there's grace to forgive. He can't put it, He can't put His, it doesn't fit. These garments are tapered to fit you exactly how he created you. That's why, all the way back to the beginning, are you willing to live naked? It's a journey out of your wardrobe and into his. It's not all at once. Cause some of these things, you don't even know. You think they're Armani and they're a thrift store. You think they're in Hanrow of Switzerland, which is like wearing bed sheets at 1800 thread count. And you don't see there's holes and they're all tattered, because you, you've had them for so long. So will you just bow your heads with me right now? this group, this tribe you're in. It's about mind renewal. And in mind renewal, it's about intimacy with God. You know why they stuck a a stick in a hill called the skull? Because it doesn't just represent death as in a skull. It It represents that stick penetrating into the skull of your mind and totally transforming, being therapeutic to every place, even if he's got to do a creative miracle in the cell structures and in the neuron firing of your mind, he went to the place of the skull, your skull and my skull, so that it can change. He went to the place and the point of your death here today so that he can take that garment off, that death garment, and bring life. Jesus today show each one of your sons and each one of your daughters one garment you want to remove you know how to show them that you know how to make that look like it needs to look inside give or give each one of your sons and daughters one thought of a garment that you want to remove today Father, truly, if you don't show us some of these garments, we'll never see that we're wearing them. If I was ever convinced of that, I have been in the last six months. Show us, Lord. Who can know the heart? You know the heart. Show us that even that garment that's so skin tight, we feel like it's our skin. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. And I want you to just take your hands like you're holding the garment out in front of you. Even if you don't have one today, that's okay. Tomorrow is a new day. Just for the sake of unity in this and releasing faith. I want you to get that garment that God showed you in your hands. I want you to see inside you taking it off with His help. And I want you to pray this and say this with me. Jesus, I acknowledge this garment and I don't want it anymore. I forgive myself for wearing it. I forgive the person or the people who hurt me, the situation that caused me to wear it. And as we say this, I just want you to see yourself and physically just do, just release it. I release this garment to you. I'm not holding it anymore. And it's not going to cling to me. And I release the weight of it. I give it to you. Because you took it on the cross with you, anyways. Now I want you to just assume a receiving position in your heart. Jesus, now, what garment do you want each one of your sons and daughters to have from you? What truth do they need from you? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to feel? Some of them actually show them, help them to see you now putting a garment on their nakedness there. Whatever garment they need, if they need your love, Lord, if they need your truth, if they need your grace, if they need your mercy, if they need to feel your forgiveness, just give Him permission to clothe you.